Welcome to this Burlington Audio Podcast. We hope you will be encouraged and inspired in your faith as you listen to this message. We'd love to hear what you think. Please be in touch with us through the website. More information and many more podcasts are all at burlingtonbaptist.org.uk. Thanks for listening. Great. Please be seated, everybody. Moving things around a little bit, um, Ben Gummer is going to be with us, uh, all being well, a little bit later on. So we'll we'll get the we'll get this out of the way, and then we can have a conversation with him. Uh, the young people uh, have been assigned to read, so if someone's coming. No one's coming. And we've got no idea. Okay, no worries. Grab hold of a Bible, everybody. We're going to read from Philippians, Philippians chapter two, and we're going to read the first eleven verses. I've got this pet thing going on at the moment about whether pew Bibles are a good idea. And the reason I'm wondering whether pew Bibles are a good idea is it's kind of we come to this place, we pick up the pew Bible, and we read it in the pew Bible, and then we leave the pew Bible in the, in the pew, because that's where it belongs. Uh, and somehow there's a, I don't know, as we were praying in here a while ago, a sense that that we just leave it in the pew. And I wonder what the dynamic would be if we made a real effort to bring our own Bibles. It might just be your tablet or your phone or whatever you use for your scriptures. So it, it comes with you. You read it. Actually, you know, these are not doctored. These are not super Bibles, you know, um, uh, with all the things that I particularly want to say in it, whereas your Bible's different. And so we come with our Bibles and we dig into it and we take our Bible with us into the week. You with me? So um, maybe, maybe we'll go 1970s and we'll give out stickers for those that bring their own Bible to church and stuff. Um, Philippians chapter 2, uh, verse one, you like the stickers idea, great. Um, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, But in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Amen. So we've given our gifts, we've expressed our love and our sacrifice and our commitment, and we've set our hearts and minds to purpose. We've set aside time to pray. We've gone up our own mountain of uh, prayer, and uh, some of you are still doing that today. And uh, we've known God at work in our hearts and in our lives 
And so we bring things together with our final reflections on this Open the Floodgates series. What we want in our lives is for something that starts off as an effort, as a discipline, to become a habit and then eventually a lifestyle. So how do we cultivate a lifestyle of generosity? Look at our hands. Our hands are so often clenched. When we were infants, we were born into the world with our hands closed. Every time someone put their little finger into our hands, we would close it almost involuntary around that little finger. We would hold on tight and not let go. As a toddler, we'd grab hold of a rattle and if someone came close, we'd say, it's, it's mine. As we grew older, we'd hold on tight to the handlebars of our bikes or to the game control of our playstations. And then a little older still, we'd hold the hand of our first girlfriend or boyfriend. And we'd hold on as if we'd never let go. Maybe you went to college or university and university and you held on to a whole load of things it's best not to talk about and then at the end of that you held on to your degree or to your diploma and you began to hold on to your first job climbing up the career ladder and the higher you got the tighter you would hold on because greater would be your fall someday we retire and clutch our golf clubs or wi programs very sorry for the stereotyping we clutch garden tools and our pension funds And maybe as we enter our final years, we cling to our sticks and to our canes to help us walk. And in the last moments, we cling to our beds or our chairs as if clinging to life itself. And then we breathe our final breath. And maybe for the first time, we relax and we let go. In complete contrast to the way we might naturally live, Jesus The attitude we should have was that he didn't grasp at something that was rightfully his. Instead of grasping, he let go. Our nature is to be his. And and so often in our humanness, we grab hold of things, we scrap and we fight to hold them, and we won't let go of it for no one or anyone, not even God. So how do we move from being clutchers and grabbers to being givers? From mine to ours. It all starts with our hearts. It does start with our giving, and we'll come back to that in a moment, Alan. With our hearts. You see, our behaviors are a reflection, ultimately, of what's in our hearts. It is true that you can behave in a way that's flowing against your heart, but two things will happen. One, it will cost you an enormous amount of energy, and secondly, you'll probably fail. So if you are angry with someone, and you need to spend the whole afternoon with them trying to be nice, either at the end of the afternoon you'll be utterly exhausted, or you'll have shouted at them midway through. Because it's hard to go against the flow of our hearts for more than a moment. And Jesus makes this connection all the time. So a lifestyle of generosity begins when we begin to discern what's in our hearts. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart. An evil man, the evil things stored up in his heart. If we're to sustain action, it needs to begin in our hearts. So is your heart generous is a very different question to do you do generous things. From time to time, we all do generous things. I picked up my socks from the bedroom floor. That doesn't necessarily 
indicate a generous heart because in a moment, in an instant, I do something that is generous. What is controlling or gripping your heart? You see, if our heart is controlled by fear, it's really hard to be generous. If I'm afraid of how much I'll get, where it'll come from, what will happen in the future, it's hard to be generous. If my heart is controlled by unbelief, I'm not sure God is faithful. I'm not sure he will look after me like he's promised. I'm not sure God will come up trumps as he said he would. If I'm full of unbelief, it's really hard to be generous. If I'm controlled by the opinion of others, I need the right clothes to do the right thing, to be in the right places, to look the right way. It's really hard to be generous because I need to think about how I look right and behave right and all the rest of it. If you're going to develop sustained generosity, then it needs to start in our hearts. That, of course, is what the whole story of Zacchaeus was about. Zacchaeus had a heart change and he gave back four times what he had ripped off other people. Zacchaeus stood up, Lord, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions. Why? Because his heart had changed when he came face to face with the grace and generosity of Jesus. The second thing we have to do, as we begin to examine our hearts, the second thing we have to do, if we're to cultivate a life of generosity, is to dethrone the God of materialism. Money is a God, and it's a full-on religion. It's a religion that demands our allegiance with cathedrals and everything. If money is the God, then religion itself is called consumerism. Shopping, not just a necessity, but a leisure pursuit. Not just the meeting of physical needs, but the mask, the cover-up, the compensation for our inner unmet needs. After the Great Fire of London in 1666, when Sir Christopher Wren submitted his plans for the rebuilding of London, including the now famous St. Paul's Cathedral, at the centre of the city was no longer a cathedral, but the Bank of England and the Stock Exchange. In 200 years from the Middle Ages, something had shifted and they recognized that at the heart of their life, at the heart of the city, at the heart of community, was a new capitalist dream that hadn't been there before. In fact, architecture says a lot about what we believe in, what our idols are, what we admire and what we aspire to. The commercial tower blocks, the shopping mega centers, the temples of human culture whose highest value has become individualism, the creation and use of wealth, and instant gratification. We live with the maxim on the back of the car, a bumper sticker that says, he who dies with the most toys wins. But that's just the world, isn't it? That's how the world lives. Until you read this verse from 1 Timothy, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith. So he's talking about us people that we know, people part of the church, people who've been baptized and we've witnessed their baptism and we've heard their stories, gospel brothers and sisters who have wandered from the faith because the God of money and the power of consumerism has been too great for them. God weeps for a world that is lost in grabbing and getting and he weeps for his people equally lost sometimes and distracted by the same grabbing and gretting. We need to find ways to dethrone the God of materialism. 
And I was thinking about this. How in the Old Testament do they represent the dethroning, the stripping away of the power of Old Testament gods? And most of the examples are to highlight how the God, small g, is a false God. So when Elijah prayed against the prophets of Baal, it was to expose the prophets of Baal as being false prophets. When Isaiah talks about uh, the idols being built by human beings with gold and silver, he's trying to expose them as false and not true. So we need to expose materialism as a false God. False God because it enslaves us rather than frees us. It enslaves us rather than frees us. We get trapped in an all-too-familiar cycle that goes something like this. I desire. I see something. I realize that I do not have it. I believe that I'd be better off if I had it. So I desire it. I want it. I dream of it. I dream of what it would mean to me to have this desired thing. I long for it. I must have it. So I have it. And for a moment, I delight in it. And my friends delight in it with me. Ooh, look at that. That's lovely. I wish I had one of those. And I'm so excited by my new purchase, which brings me great pleasure and joy. I feel good about what I have. And I enjoy the admiration of others. Hmm, I'm disappointed. My new possession loses its charm and excitement quicker than I thought it would. It's only an object stuff. It isn't very good either. And you know, much better ones are coming on the market. So my disappointment becomes discontent. I'm now discontented. And I look around and there are other better models already available. Imagine now that you use the scheme, buy now, pay later. At the moment of your maximum discontent, you get the reminder that now's the time to pay for something you've now decided you don't really want anymore. Strangle. I'm discontented. And I look around and I see these better models, and so I desire. And then I think to myself, haven't I been here before? And so I go round the circle again. Notice too how things move from luxury to necessity. When mobile phones first existed, they were the prize of showy businessmen. First mobile phone I ever saw was the size of a briefcase for the battery, big phone on top. When it rang, it was like a nuclear explosion. And no one needed a mobile phone. It was just a way of showing, look at me. Look how successful I am with my mobile phone. Take a mobile phone off any of those lads, and it will be like you stood on their windpipe. (gasps) They can't breathe. Five seconds. (gasps) (gasps) Hyperventilating in the church. Because what's the point? As generations go, as we go through our lives, as generations unfold, satisfaction is never achieved. There's this endless cycle of more and more, and more. It's a false God because it promises what it cannot deliver. Whoever loves money never has money enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied. Solomon recounts his attempts to find satisfaction in wealth, and in money, and in status, and to a certain extent, celebrity as well. He amassed Slaves, gold and silver, huge harems to fulfill his sexual desires. In fact, he lives by this mantle. He says it himself. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. And if you go on to read the whole book of Ecclesiastes, it goes on to talk about how meaningless, how empty, how futile that kind of life comes. And you can read all about it through those verses. 
Ecclesiastes chapter 10 is a brilliant commentary on the world today. And of course, we know, don't we, that when people get loads of money and they have loads of material possessions, and we know this because we've read the magazines, that they become well-adjusted, content individuals. We know that those who've got loads of money are able to develop really good relationships because we've read about it in the papers. We know that those who amass fame and fortune have the most together lives on the planet because we've read their stories. Or have we? Or have we? Dethrone the gods of materialism. And then uh, lastly about dethroning the gods of materialism. You see, it promises um, what it can't deliver, but it also steals. It also steals. Money's a false god because it steals our time and our energy. I want you to think about something new. Something new that you get. It can be anything you like. We're going to take a hallway carpet. For many years, you've had a well-worn carpet in your hallway. It's pretty ugly. Maybe it's been there since you moved in. Maybe you've been saving up to try and buy a new one. Eventually, it wears out, or you've got enough money, and you think, we're going to buy, or I'm going to buy, a really nice new hallway carpet. We've had this old one for a long time, so do you know what? I deserve it. It's an exciting moment. You'll tell everybody about it. Looking forward to it being laid. You're quite proud to be putting a new carpet in your hallway. It's making the house a bit more yours now. It's going to look really good. Up until now, you've never worried about who walked on the carpet in your hallway or whether or not they'd taken their shoes off or even if they'd spilt something. It was just no big deal and it kind of had made your house welcoming and easygoing. But now... With this perfectly brush-pale carpet taking pride of place in the hallway of your house, all the pile... Are we all right? There's no one under there, is there? Angela, you're not bending down to lift someone up from under the pew. All the pile is in the same direction. And you know, new carpets smell good. Are you worried about who walks on it? You absolutely bet you are. You find yourself loitering behind the kids as they carry stuff into the lounge. Don't drop it, two hands, be careful, remember the carpet. As people come to the front door, you're thinking, oh my goodness, I hope their shoes are clean. Uh, and the doorbell goes, and you open the door. let me stop you right there. New carpet, shoes off. And then do you know what? All your worry and anxiety about the carpet is utterly futile because in a matter of days, mark my words, the snotty kid from next door will run through your hallway with dog's muck on his shoes. It's just the way it is. There's a universal law. Or the spaghetti bolognese that has never fallen in your hallway will fall in your hallway. And the toast always lands but aside. Oh, you're not sure, are you? We are divided in the church about which way uh, toast will land. And you know I'm right. You've driven this car for 20 years and you just get a new one. And dot, dot, dot. Anyway, back to the carpet. The spaghetti bolognese has landed on the carpet. And you would have hardly blinked, but now, do you know, you're down on your hands and knees and you're scrubbing to get this carpet cleaned. You've got the best carpet cleaner in your hand. You're discussing with your neighbor what white vinegar can do. And in a world that is out of control, you're suddenly drawn into your time, your energy, your focus, your emotional well-being. If this was you, honestly, in our hearts, if that bolognese had stained that carpet, it would be a pretty bad day, wouldn't it? Imagine what it's saying to you and to me, if that's what creates a bad day in our world. Where is our priorities? Where is our perspective? Where is our focus? Has the new carpet made you a better person, yes or no? And yet we chase after new things all of the time. All of the time. 
Every time I add to my possessions, someone has said, it is one more thing to think about, talk about, clean, repair, display, rearrange, and replace. One thing leads to another. If you buy a television, then you need to get an aerial, or probably more likely today you need to get broadband, and your broadband comes into the wrong room. So you need to get the router changed from the wrong room to the right room in order so that you can use your telly. And given that you're changing your broadband, you may as well take advantage of the new offers. And there's some new offers if you change to BT so that you can watch African ice skating live. So you think, I'm going to sign up for that so that I can now watch African ice skating live. And so you change your broadband. It's only a little bit more money, but of course I can watch that sport live. Hey, come watch it with me. And then as you're moving the carpet and the furniture around to put the new router in, you think, those surround sound speakers I've always wanted, if I have them now, then I can lay the wires while the carpet is up and everything will go back into place. So you now buy the surround speakers as well. And then you think, I've invested so much in this room and in this entertainment, I better get a better chair to sit in. So you get a nice reclining chair. And there you are, sitting in your room, watching your telly, and suddenly out of the corner of your eye, you notice that your neighbour has a bigger telly than you. And you think, my telly's not that big, is it, really? And suddenly you think, I need an upgrade. And it goes round and round and round. We've got to find ways to dethrone the God of materialism. And one of the best ways, one of the most biblical ways to dethrone the God of materialism is exactly what Alan said, which is to give. Give God the first and the best. Give to him first and the best. Give to him all the time. And remember that it's all yours. And another thing, discover, thirdly, a lifestyle of generosity, discover that the best things are free. A group of geography students are studying the seven wonders of the world. Students are listing them, Egyptian pyramids, Taj Mahal, Grand Canyon, Panama Canal, Ipswich ever being in the premiership. Uh, And they're they're getting it all there, written it down. And there's one woman who's really struggling to get it down. She's just like, what? And, and the, the kind of teacher sees this girl really struggling. He says, you seem to be struggling. What's it? And she's, and she's kind of a bit embarrassed, doesn't quite know what to say. And she says, yeah, I couldn't quite make up my mind because there were so many. The teacher invited her to share what she knew in order that the rest of the class perhaps might help her. And she said, you know, I think the seven wonders of the world are to touch, to taste, to see, to hear. And she lost her confidence, lost her bottle a bit, hesitated and then said to run, to laugh, to love the best things are free. And the greatest ever gift of God's Son in Jesus is absolutely free. Discover that the best things are free. Money can't buy love and it can't buy life. It can't buy peace. It can't buy health. It can't buy happiness. It can't put me right with God. Yet we stress about it all of the time. Be determined to be generous. We haven't got time to think much uh, about this this morning, but be determined to be generous. You can't be generous to everybody, but you can be generous to somebody. So who is it that God's asking you to be generous to? Is it time to be more generous to your spouse, to your children, to your work colleague, to your neighbor? Who is it? Who is it for you today? Because if we go out and say, I'm going to be more generous, actually, I won't be more generous to anybody. But think about what's God saying to me? To whom should I be more generous? It takes planning and effort It took a lot of planning and a lot of effort for Jesus to leave the sofa of heaven to come to our world. And we need to make plans to be generous. Determine to be generous. And two more then, very quickly. Decide to embrace little things. You see, generosity is not the huge gifts, although sometimes it's that. And it's not an excuse for us to be tight-fisted before God, but it is a reminder that the little things, when we're generous, have a massive impact, like a couple of loaves and some fish, by the way. 
massive impact when you take the little that you've got and you sow it into generosity. It's the little things that often make upon each other's lives the biggest impression. So decide to embrace the little things. When we think about being generous, we think about, well, I haven't got very much to be generous with. But you have got some loaves and you have got some fish and you can sow them into God's kingdom and into God's purpose. And then finally, default to yes. Can I borrow? Yes. Can I give? Yes. Will I go the extra mile? Yes. Will I use my time? Yes, 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 yes. If you want to develop a lifestyle of generosity, you need to default to yes. Now, some of you need to be careful with this. Some of you are in default yes, but for different reasons. It's not that you're not generous, but some of the motivation perhaps for your yes is that you want other people to like you, you want God to like you, you want to fit in, so you think the only way I can be liked and fit in and earn something is to go yes, 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 yes to everything that's asked of you. That leads to legalism and death. We're not talking about that. But if we want to kickstart some generosity in our lives, then our default needs to be yes, yes. Just like when someone comes into a room and says, can I borrow that coat? You go, yes, it's not even mine. Take it. (laughs) And it's like that, isn't it? We've gone full circle. Where did we begin three weeks ago? None of it's mine. Do you want it? Yeah, have it. It's not mine. It's his anyway. Take it, use it, borrow it, whatever with it, because it's not mine. And there's a freedom in that, isn't there? Oh, that's my best coat. Rather you didn't take my best. You won't get it dirty, will you? You'll look after it. You won't, you won't wear it out in the rain. No, I'd rather you didn't have that one because that's a special one to me. No, it's not yours. It's not ours. It's all his. And suddenly, as it gets poured in and we go, it's all his, we start giving it away. And do you know what happens? Suddenly, the floodgates begin to open. And he says, I'll pour out so much blessing, you won't even have enough room for it. Claire, come and help us. Regretting going carpet shopping yesterday. (laughs) No, it's not. There's so much in there and has been over the last three weeks. We're just going to quieten our hearts for a moment. What's God saying to you today? It's not the same as he's saying to me, I should imagine, but it might be. Let's just for a moment stop thinking of all we've heard. Father God. What are you saying to me today? What are you prompting me about? Give me ears to hear your voice. And now maybe just push into that question a little. What are you going to do about it? What what is God asking you to take from today? What part of this generous lifestyle? Lord, I long to live like you did, with a heart of generosity. I long to walk every day knowing that you, O Lord, made the earth and everything in it and you trust me with so many blessings and yet ask me to freely give because I freely received. Help me, Lord, because this challenge is the very way I live, the very way I spend, the very way I use my time, my energy, my possessions. Because actually they're not mine, they're yours. And so I give you everything about who I am. I give you my house, I give you my car, I give you my family, I give you my time. I give you all that I am as a living sacrifice, as worship and as thanks. Will you stand with me, please? 
And we're going to sing this next song. And as we do, why don't you use the, the chorus especially as a way of saying, I'm here to worship. I recognize you've given everything and I'm going to use everything you've given me to worship you. Here I am to worship. Here I am to bow down. Here I am to say that you're my God.